And the title this morning, if you want to find your way to John chapter 15, is You've Got a Friend in Me. And so I just wanted to think about this thought. Jesus tells us in this passage we're going to get to, He calls us friends. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Jesus calls us friends. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? And so we're going to kind of unpack that this morning and and I want to kind of catch you up. So we're in week five. If you're, not, uh, if you're new here, my name is John, and I'm blessed to be the pastor here. But we are in week five of this series, Be the Branch. And last week, we paused for a week as we celebrated mothers. And I had a great opportunity to share the stage with my mom last week. Didn't my mom do a great job last week? Yeah, you can give her a hand. Uh, that was awesome. And uh, I was blessed to just kind of share the stage with her. But we, uh, we kind of paused our series, Be the Branch. And so I want to kind of give you just a quick review. We've been walking through John chapter 15, and the series, of course, is Be the Branch. There's really three different roles or characters that we see in this story in John chapter 15. The first is that Jesus says that he is the vine. So we see Jesus is the vine. Then he tells us that God is the vine dresser, or the gardener would be another way of wording that. And then he's talking to the disciples, he says, they are the branches, or what we would understand then is that followers of Jesus are branches. Okay, so Jesus is the vine, God is the gardener, and followers of Jesus are the branches. And aren't you thankful that God is the gardener? Because God is good, and all the time... I'm glad that you aren't the gardener. I'll just be honest with you. I'm glad you don't have the shears in your hand, and you can be glad that I don't have the shears in my hand, that God is a gardener. So we also see kind of three statements, to, again, as a way of review, that we can kind of unpack John chapter 15. The first statement is this, that true branches bear fruit. That if we are actually a follower of Jesus, and we stay connected to the vine, we will bear fruit. We also learned in the next week is that uh, pruned branches bear more fruit, okay? And so when we think just on that, how, the, the, the passage tells us that we are to glorify God. We glorify God by bearing fruit. So true branches bear fruit. Pruned branches bear more fruit, which then would be that we bring more glory to God. And so if, if bearing fruit produces fruit that brings God glory, then what we learned is we should pray for pruning. Now pruning is painful, but we understand pruning is profitable, and pruning is purposeful, and so we should pray for pruning. The next thing, when Pastor Dave talked in really in verses 6 and following, he says that mature branches bear much fruit. So we go from bearing fruit to bearing more fruit to bearing much fruit as we stay connected to the vine. Now, I want to just kind of a way of illustration, if, if you were with us in this whole series, when verse number two, we were talking about the statement there says that uh, the branches that abide in me that don't bear fruit, he takes away. Now, the word we looked at, the Greek word for take away, that was translated into English, take away, is the Greek word iro. It's A-I-R-O. There's two ways that that could have been interpreted. There's two meanings of that word. The first one, or one of them, is takes away, as we see it translated in this text. The other way it could have been translated was that he lifts up. 
it seems like from the entirety of Scripture and from even the context here that a better translation would have been that when the branches aren't bearing fruit, the branches that actually abide in Christ, followers of Jesus, don't bear fruit, there is a reason, and it's because they're not healthy. And, and the gardener, God wants to pick up those unhealthy branches, connect them back to healthy branches so that they will bear fruit. And so we get this picture of sick and diseased branches that for a lot of different reasons, maybe in sin, maybe we're just disconnected from the body of Christ and the bride of Christ, that we're not bearing fruit. And the picture then is the gardener wanting to connect us to healthy branches so that we could bear fruit. Now look at the screen. You see this picture here. This was, again, I think four weeks ago. And in four weeks ago, we, we looked at this idea of the diseased branch that wasn't producing fruit. And you can see the picture there. It was definitely a fruitless, leafless branch. So what I did is you were here, I reconnected this to the healthy branch and <clears throat> put it on my back porch, actually. Let me unconnect it here. And look what happened as it was connected to a healthy branch. That's what God wants to do to us. When we are maybe disconnected from the church or other healthy branches, the gardener picks us up, cleans us off, and wants us to be connected. That is why we, we want to always are always pushing you to join a connect group. That's in fact why we call them connect groups, because we want you to connect to healthy branches so that you can bear fruit. And that's why we even have two services now so that we can have more connect groups, smaller connect groups, so that we can do what? Connect. We want to connect you to healthy branches. If you haven't connected in a connect group, I'm trying to figure out how many times I can say connect in this sentence, but if you haven't connected to a connect group, we want you to connect to a connect group because there's connection that happens in connect groups, okay? 9.15 or 10.30. If you don't know where to go, come ask me. I'll tell you, okay? You can also scan that QR code and click the tab that says, guess what it says? connect groups, all right? So we want you to connect. It's also because we say here we want to lead people to find and follow Jesus. We're moving people from the crowd into community so they can do what? Connect so they can become the core. And that's why we're always encouraging you to be in a connect group and to serve. You know, last week we had, uh, I think there was uh, around eight babies in the nursery. That's awesome. But you know what eight babies need? People to rock them. They need people. And we need people to serve, all right? And so if you're interested, hey, guess what? On that QR card code, you can connect and you can serve. But you see vividly illustrated here why it's important to stay connected. L let me see if I can explain it in just uh, one statement here. When you abide in Christ... And stay connected to his, what's the word there? His what? Say a little louder. To his what? Who's the body? What is it referring? What's the body of Christ? The church, the branches. Okay, we stay connected to the body and faithful to his, what's the word? Bride. Who's the bride? Who's he talking about? The church. We are the bride of Christ. If we will stay connected to the body, faithful to the bride, he, God, will produce fruit in you and through you. So what do we have to do as a branch? 
Be the branch. Abide in Christ. Stay connected to Christ. All right, so that was a lot of review. John chapter 15, we're going to really be focusing on John, uh, on verses 13 uh, through 17. But because we did take a week off, I want to uh, also kind of set the context of the entire uh, passage. Let's read verses 1 through 17, all right? So John chapter 15, Jesus is talking, verse number 1, I am the true vine, my, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be in my disciples. As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, than to lay one's life for his friend. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask in the Father, ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. All right, so again, we're going to kind of focus on this idea that Jesus twice here says that I have called you friend. You've got a friend in me. And so let's just kind of walk through this, back through verses 13 through 17. We're going to see four things about friendship. The first is this, friendship is demonstrated. Verse number 13, he, he said, and remember what he said in verse 12, this commandment I give you, that you love one another, and then he has this clarifier on it, or condition, or maybe it's a standard, love one another as I have loved you. And so then in verse 13, he says, greater love has no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. But what's great about this is that God, Jesus here didn't just speak it. He didn't just say, oh, I love you. Remember the context of this conversation. They, are, they have just left the upper room. They've just celebrated Passover. They're walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, where in just a few hours, Judas is going to betray Jesus. The soldiers are going to arrest Jesus. They are going to put a false trial on, and Jesus is going to be beaten. He's going to be crucified. Then he's going to be placed in a tomb. And thank goodness, three days later, what happens? He comes back to life. That's good news for all of us. But in the context, Jesus is saying, love others as I have loved you. Oh, and by the way, greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Thankfully, Jesus didn't stop there. He didn't just say, I love you. He demonstrated his love. 
What does Romans 5, 8 say? God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Most of us know John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the, what is it? The world. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember growing up hearing uh, people, probably my dad, probably other people tell me that I could exchange the word world and put my name in. You guys ever heard that before? For God so loved John. Okay, we're going to do that again. I want, you to, I want you to yell your name out, okay? For God so loved, for God so loved John that he gave his only son that if John, for God so loved John that he gave his only son that whoever, that if John believes in him, John should not perish, but John should have everlasting life. Isn't that pretty amazing? God demonstrated his love that if John, if Bart would believe, we'll be saved. Eternal life. Do you believe that this morning? If you don't believe that, I hope by the end of the day you will. If you don't understand that, in a moment we're going to clarify that. But 1 John 3.16. What is 1 John 3.16? It says, by this we know love. Because Jesus, he, what does it say? Laid down his life for who? For John. But not just for me. I heard a few of you say it. Because he laid down his life for? Few of you believe it. For us. We also ought to lay down our life for the brethren. Doesn't that sound really familiar to verse 12 and 13 of our text? Love others as I have loved you, and greater love has no man than this, and man lay down his life for his friends. And in Romans 8, God demonstrates love toward us that while I, John, was a sinner, Christ died for me. Look at 1 John 4.10. It will be on the screen for us. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He loved Jim and Gwen and John. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for my sins. Do you believe that? God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. And so Jesus here is declaring, and he, I'm thankful he didn't just declare, but he demonstrated his love. Now, the next one, let's, let's look at number two, all right? So I've got four things here. First, demonstrated, and then the second one we already mentioned, declared. Friendship declared. Look at verse 14 and, and 15. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. He declares to the disciples, he declares to the branches, he declares to the followers of Jesus, you are my friend. You've got a friend in me. And, and let's clarify real quickly, because it seems a little bit if, at first glance. Verse 14, you are my friends. And what's the next word? If. Uh-oh. 
This seems conditional. I didn't think we, I thought God just loved me. Well, it's conditional, but remember two weeks ago when we looked at verse number 10? In verse number 10, it said kind of the same thing. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And remember what we said about verse number 10? It also applies here. This is not uh, conditional on our relationship with God. If I've placed my faith in Jesus, then my relationship is sealed until the day of eternity. That's what Ephesians 1, 14 and 15 says. But just like we said about verse 10, it's the same here. My fellowship with God is dependent on my obedience to God. And, th- and that makes sense, doesn't it? Like my relationship's not going to be broken, but if I don't love others and if I'm not obedient to God, and what he's saying here is if, if God is truly your friend, if Jesus is truly your friend, out of the love he's given to you, you are going to want to simply obey and love others. So that's what he says. The commandment is, love one another. If you obey that, hey, we're, we're in friendship. We're in fellowship. In fact, James chapter 2, verse 23, it's, James is kind of talking about the whole faith without works. And he talks about Abraham, and he says, Abraham believed God and was counted to him for righteousness. That's declaring relationship. Because Abraham had faith, he had relationship. It's the same for us. Because we place our faith in Jesus for our salvation, then we have relationship. We're adopted into the family of God. Then what does the rest of this verse say? And he was called a friend of God. And so, again, faith leads to relationship. Obedience leads to to fellowship. And that's what he's talking here again. So, it's friendship declared, it's friendship uh, demonstrated. Number three, it's friendship determined. Look at verse 16. He says, you, again, Jesus talking to disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Now, To really understand the magnitude of this statement, we have to understand the culture in which it was written. Because in this culture, if you know much about the New Testament, you've probably heard that the the disciples called Jesus their rabbi, their teacher. So in this culture, you would have rabbis, you would have teachers, and then you would have followers, or maybe another word would be pupils. And so they would sit at the feet of the rabbi, and they would just listen to the rabbi expounding on the scriptures of what those meant. But the way that process would look is not the way it looked for Jesus. Because the process, the normal process was that the pupils or the students, they pursued the rabbi. I want to learn from you. I want to sit at your feet. I want to hear you expound on the Old Testament scriptures. That's not what Jesus did. Because there was a pretty intensive application process for a student to sit under a rabbi. And the rabbi was only going to accept the brightest, the best, the wisest, the smartest, maybe the wealthiest. That's who he would let sit at his feet. In other words, I love the way Kyle Eidemann stated this, most rabbis took applications. However, 
Jesus offered invitations. Remember what he said? Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Completely different. Hey, guess what? It's the same thing for us. I don't have to be the richest, the brightest, the wisest, the smartest, the whatever. I don't have to be good enough. I don't have to be big enough. I don't have to be wise enough. Whatever it is, I don't have to be enough. Jesus just chose me. And he does the same for you. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 kind of expounds on this a little bit. As we think about this idea that he says to the disciples, and the reason this is going to be important, because next week we're going to look at the, the rest of the chapter, and the rest of the chapter uh, gets a little intense. Jesus says that, that people are going to hate you if you follow me. So it's important to know that, hey, Jesus picked me for his team, and that's whose team I am, I'm on, because in, in our culture, and it's not new to our culture, in every culture, it's always been people wanting you to pick their side or their team. And we've seen that big time in the last year, haven't we? Whose team are you on? And you know what my answer is? I'm on team Jesus. I'm following him. My allegiance is to Jesus. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in Christ, verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Not because I was good. Not because I was worthy. Not because I got the highest score. Not because I had perfect church attendance. Before the foundation of the world, he chose me. You know, when we think of Abraham, which we just talked about, you know what Abraham was doing when God chose him? He wasn't worshiping God. He was worshiping the stars. And God said, I want you on my team. Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption. He's adopted us as sons by Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of His will. So to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us, this is a great word, He made us what? Say it again, He made us what? Because we were good? No, in fact, we aren't good. But He chose us. Accepted in the beloved, and then verse 7 says, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his, what's the word? Blood. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. You, you turn the page, Ephesians chapter 2. It'll be on the screen as well, but verse 8, this one may be a little more familiar with you. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of it's not of yourself. It's not of works. It's not because you're the best or the brightest or the wealthiest. It's not of you. It's a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. 
For we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So he says to the disciples, you did not choose me, I chose you. And I chose you on purpose. I'm thankful today that God chose me. And I'm thankful today I said, yes. Well, how do you know if God's chosen you? You're here today. And Jesus says, I'm not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And Jesus said, whoever, Paul said it through, God, he said, uh, whoever calls on the Lord shall be, what's the word? Saved. I believe today the reason that some of you are here is because you need to hear that God wants you on his team. That he's chosen you before the foundation of the world to adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to where he could make you accepted in the beloved. So he chooses you. Now the choice is yours. Will you place your faith in Jesus? And maybe you think, well, yeah, I want to, but I don't know how. Well, I got good news for you. I can tell you, I can tell you how. It's really simple. There's three easy steps. The first is, the Bible says, whoever, that we've all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. So the first step, admit, I'm a sinner. For some of us, that's pretty easy to admit. Admit, I'm a sinner. The second step is to believe. Believe that Jesus died for you. Remember what we just quoted? For God so loved you that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in Jesus in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, you can have eternal life. I'm going to admit, yes, God, I'm a sinner. I'm going to believe Jesus died for me. And I'm going to confess, I'm going to confess the words of Jesus. Jesus said that he is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. I'm going to admit that I'm a sinner. I need, I need Jesus. I'm going to believe that Jesus died to pay my debt. And I confess, Jesus is Lord. And if you do that, you've been adopted in the family of God. You are a friend of Jesus. And I want to encourage you. In fact, I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes for a moment. We're not at the end of the service, so don't close your Bible. Just pausing for a moment. I didn't beat you. Some of you already closed it. I want you just, I just want to pause for a moment because I think maybe there's someone in the room this morning that it's time for you to say yes to Jesus. It's time for you to admit, to believe, and to confess. And if that's you this morning, I just want to lead you through a quick prayer. The prayer is is you talking to God and it's you doing these three steps, admitting, believing, and confessing. And if you would like to say yes to Jesus, because he's chosen you, then right where you're at, would you pray? You may say something like this, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died for me. I confess Jesus is Lord. 
I ask you to forgive me, to save me, to adopt me. If, if you prayed that prayer, our eyes are still closed, and you would like me to know so I can pray for you, would you just put your hand up real quick? Just put your hand up. I, I prayed that prayer with you right now, John. Just, just put your hand up wherever you're at. See one, and anyone else, just put your hand up. I prayed that prayer right now. Anyone else? Thank you. You can look up. As, as we continue, he says this. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And there's the two next words are pretty important. And appointed. In other words, we could say this. The first part is, God chose you on purpose. The second two words, and appointed, would say God chose you for a purpose. God didn't just save you to sit. He saved you to serve. Because we want to lead as many people as we can to find and follow Jesus. We want to tell as many people as we can, hey, you need to be on team Jesus. He died for you. He loves you. He wants to adopt you. He wants to be your friend. And that's the last words that Jesus said to the disciples. Remember what he said? Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you, and I will be with you always, even until the end of the age or the world. That's the mission we've been given. God has chosen you on purpose and God has chosen you for a purpose so the question then comes are you fulfilling God's purpose it's what we said a few weeks ago the abiding life leads to the abundant life and if we will stay abiding some translations would say remaining, walking in, dwelling with Christ. He will produce fruit in us and through us. So what's the fourth? Let's look at number four and we'll do this quickly. Number four, friendship is not only demonstrated, uh, declared, and determined. The fourth one is friendship duplicated. Here's the responsibility. What does he say? What does he conclude this section with? Verse number 17. These things I command you, that you love one another. It's important we underline that. In fact, he said it in verse 12, and he repeats himself in verse 17, which I think means it's important. Love one another. Because next week we're going to unpack some things in verses 18 and following that to love one another, to love the world as Christ loved us, which he said in verse 12, comes at a cost. Because Jesus is going to, we're going to unpack this next week, but Jesus is going to say, if you love me, people are going to not like it. And so we're going to have to make a decision. I'm on team Jesus. And what has he commanded me to do? Love others as he loved me. How many of you have a, uh, 
a life, what you would term as a lifelong friend. Anybody have lifelong friend? Just put your hand up. It's somewhat rare, but some of you uh, have, have been blessed with that, lifelong friends. Um, I, I, I had a lifelong friend all my life, even before, you know, right as my life began. My, I, I have a twin brother, and uh, most of the time we've been friends, or uh, sometimes I would say we were frenemies. Like, we're not sure about that at times. We're frenemies, but here, here's the good news. If you were a follower of Jesus, no matter when, no matter what, he's always available. He's always present. And as we sang about it, when the storms get big, who's bigger than the storms? Jesus. And what does he say to us? You've got a friend in me.